Young people, thank you. What a wonderful message. What a wonderful message. We thank God for the truth of his word, for these young people who've shared with us. I feel like I have gained a new friend this week. Because of um, several of our families have places at White Lake, I had heard about Cameron McGill. And uh, we began to think about someone to come and share with us several messages on a Sunday through Wednesday. And we felt like Cameron was the man that the Lord had put in our hearts, and we wanted to call and see if he could come. And he was very gracious in uh, coming to spend time with us. Uh, he's a very busy man, uh, and uh, yet he chose to come to Fuquay and spend time with us. He pastors two churches, folks, okay? One at the Lake Church and then one in the hometown there. And uh, I think it's kind of humorous to me anyway. It's hard for me to imagine doing it, but he preaches at the Lake Church. And uh, when that's over, uh, I don't know how quickly he has to be at the other church, but he's, he told me he scurries home and, and gets a shower and change and, and puts on a tie and goes to the other church. So, but after I've been with him a while, I don't think that'd be a big deal for Cameron. <laughs> I mean, what I know of him is that he runs at 105 miles an hour all the time. I've learned some other things about him, too, and I won't share all of them, but one is that he's a truth teller. And what I'm thinking about is not so much from the pulpit. Obviously, that's part of it. He's telling the truth from the pulpit. But early in the week, uh, asked about his family and when they could be here. He has four children. And uh, uh, so he said that was something they wanted to get worked out. And I said, well, I'm looking forward to meeting them and meeting your wife. And uh, he said to me that, uh, well, she is a whole lot prettier than I am. Cameron's a truth teller. Tiffany, welcome, lady. And Cameron, in a minute or two, I want that you introduce that sweet daughter of yours here. Learn something else about Cameron. Um, in several of the messages, I think four, at least three, and I think four, he's mentioned um, something for which he has an affinity. And I think he is a wonderful representative of this company. And so I spent untold time and money getting him something that I wanted him to have so that he could represent this company. Cameron, here's your hat. You think we ought to ask him to wear it while he's preaching? Maybe not. That's not, I don't think so. Uh, but that's not quite all. Uh, you know, there's something that goes behind this. Alan, if you'll help me here. Listen, if you get one of these from Cameron, you've done something. Uh, Cameron, uh, Superhero Day. 
This is a dozen. And the good part is, there's another box just like this one. You going to let your daughter ride home with you? <laughs> but Cameron, um, we didn't want you to feel miss, missing, that you missed out on anything. So we got you the donuts, but then I went back and got the rest of it. Here's the donut holes. <laughs> and I want you to know, uh, I guarded these because uh, on the way to church tonight, my wife was reaching to the box, and, and then she said, well, I'll just take a donut hole. I said, uh-uh, <laughs> you owe me big time. <laughs> Cameron's a good brother. Good preacher. If this is the first time you've been here, you're in for a real treat. We thank God for him and for the message that he has. Cameron, you are welcome here, my brother. Thank you, Brother Ross. Bless your heart. Thank you for everything, man. All right. Well, we're going to have a party afterwards. I've even, I'm going to need ice cream in Anger after this. Let me just go ahead and say thank you. Uh, Pastor Ross, thank you, Brother David, thank you, uh, all the the church family here. Uh, it is such a blessing and a privilege to get to travel around and and to preach in different places. I love my church and I'm blessed. I've been there since uh, 2000. I was thinking about uh, Brother Ross been here since 1987. I was in the sixth grade, and um, I know. No, that's. But let me tell you, I know how hard it is to pastor a church for 16 years, much less add another 13 on that. So, um, so my admiration and respect is yours, my brother, and I appreciate it. You are blessed to have a pastor who stands on the Word of God and stands on that rock, and I'm grateful for that. And I just feel led to do something. I wonder if you'd do this uh, for me. i don't never done this in a lot of revivals I've preached. I've never done this a single time. But I just, I just want to honor your pastor and Brother David as well. They've put in extra time this week, and they've been so faithful. And I'm honored that they would share this pulpit and this, and this sacred desk with me. Would you just allow me to honor them, and you honor them as well? Would you do that? Amen. Amen. In glory, they will hear the words, Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. Tonight, my last message, and I'm uh, excited about it. I, if you're here tonight for the first time, uh, we normally go about two and a half hours. So, But after the second hour, I'll go ahead and pass out some donuts, and it'll be good. I love this text. I love this. This is, you know, the Bible is, 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 is living. It's breathing. Every time you go back to it, it's something new. It, it feeds you. You see a new insight. You see something there that possibly you've never seen before. And we're going to look at this text. And it's a lengthy text. We're just going to look at the highlights of it. And my prayer tonight is that you will see some things, if you're a believer, that possibly you've never seen before. But more than that, if you're here tonight and you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, you've never had a personal encounter with the God of heaven through his Son, that tonight would be a divine appointment in your life. 
Verse number four of this text, uh, we see in the first few verses that Jesus had left Judea and he was going into Galilee. Well, let me just tell you, Jesus was uh, a Jew. And because of that, they would have no dealings with the Samaritans. They would never go through Samaria. They would go clear around it so as not passing through. But the Bible says, and he, Jesus, must needs go through Samaria. On this particular day, the Lord Jesus Christ had a divine appointment to keep. My prayer is that there are some divine appointments in the house tonight. And then he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, think about this, the very king of kings and lord of lords, he was wearied with his journey. And he sat thus on the well, and it was now about the sixth hour. It was about noon. Let me just say to you that the well would have been a lonely and desolate place about noon. No one went to the well at noon. It was the hottest part of the day and ultimately there was no need for water at that particular part. The women of the village would have gone out to that particular well just out of the city and they would have gone to it early in the morning and late in the evening. In fact, this particular well, because it was out of the city, it was sort of in a remote place and very few went there. But Jesus was there. And the Bible says in verse 7, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, Give me something to drink. And the woman of Samaria, shocked as she would, said unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, would ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If only thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me something to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman then said unto him, Sir, Thou hast absolutely nothing to draw with. And the well here is so deep. How is it that you're going to give me living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob that gave us this well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. But rather the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water that I never thirst again. Father, thank you for the privilege of standing in this place tonight with the brothers and sisters in Christ and all that are gathered here. And Father, I just pray that you might have your will and way. Lord God, that you'd hide us behind the cross at the foot of the cross we might be so deep that we'd not be able to be seen or heard tonight, but only the voice of God speaking here tonight. God, I pray that you would have your will. Do it your way. God, that you would just touch a heart, radically change a life. Father, that tonight would be a divine appointment for somebody in the church meeting house. And we'll thank and praise you for it all in Jesus' name. I want you to think about occasions in your own life that God spoke to you. And I want to ask the question tonight, what is it that you are looking for? What is it that you are looking for? I have my wife Tiffany with me. My little girl Leah's here. The boys were committed and could not be here tonight. I miss them so. Leah's eight years old. She's in the third grade. But there was a time that our family didn't include a little girl. We had three precious little boys. 
Or at least sometimes. My plan was complete. Three's a good number. My three sons, you know. Well, my wife made a phone call to me one day. I'm driving the church bus and she said, Cameron, are you sitting down? I said, well, I'd hope so. (laughs) Driving the bus, you know. But I knew the sound in her voice. She said, I need to tell you something. I'd heard that voice before. She said, we're going to have another baby. I said what many husbands have said throughout the ages. How in the world something like that happened? My plan was derailed. My bubble busted. Things were not going to fit into my perfect little box as I had categorized them. Life was about to throw us a curve and things were going to change. Some time would pass and my wife would go to the doctor as you have to do, you know. I'm a little warm too. Whew. And uh, everybody's a fan and everybody getting the same route. And uh, But anyway, we went to, I went to one of the doctor's visits with her and they did one of those ultrasounds or microwaves, whatever they call it, where they, 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 they slather you all up with this, uh, with this salve-looking stuff and they put a machine on you and they look inside. And I'm good at reading those things, y'all. In fact, I'm good if you have a heart cath. I can take that little thing and tell you right where the blockages are, tell you where the stents need to be, or if you need angioplasty or open-heart surgery. I'm good at that. And I've read these ultrasound things before. And I was watching that thing as they're looking in there, you know, and they all look like E.T. in there. And I'm looking and, I'm, and I finally said, something's wrong, you know, something's wrong. And... And so, lo and behold, we found on that visit that this one was not going to be a little boy. This was going to be a little girl. And somehow everything just was all right. Somehow I just realized God had a better plan than me. And because this fourth one was a girl, it was going to be okay. Some time would pass and I went to a sale. And I was imagining in my mind what it would be like to have a girl. Because we had raised three little sloppy boys. And I had this idea that little girls were neat and prissy and had everything just so in their place. And so I designed in my mind this HGTV dream home bedroom for my little girl, my, my little girl, you know. And, uh, and it would have a bed with the little doilies on the top, you know, and everything would be pink and yellow and green and all this kind of stuff. Well, at this particular sale, I, I came across the, Two little dainty lamps. I hope you've got a picture of this. Two little dainty lamps with one lampshade. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a wheeler dealer and I thought, hey, this is great because I really want them and I didn't have a whole lot of money. And, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of money. We went down that road last night. Never mind. And, uh, and I said, I bet I'll get a deal on these since there's only one lampshade and I can find another one of these lampshades anywhere. So, so I only gave like three or four dollars for these two lamps. Beautiful little lamps with only one lampshade. And then I began searching. It was kind of a pursuit. It was a hobby. I would go to antique stores and, and thrift stores and, and junk stores and yard sales. And I broke in a few houses. I dove in some dumpsters. I mean, I went everywhere looking for a matching lampshade. But try as I may, I simply could not find a match. I looked everywhere, but I couldn't find what I was looking for. So finally I gave up and I boxed those little lamps away in that lampshade, tucked it in the back of the closet and forgot all about it. My challenge for you tonight is this. What is it that you've come here looking for? I believe every person in this place is looking for something. Now, maybe you've even gotten to the point of almost giving up finding it. Maybe you even wonder if it even exists, this 
this key to joy and, and happiness. And tonight's text in John chapter 4, we find a woman who had been diligently looking for something. She was looking for love and looking for acceptance and looking for ha happiness and, and looking for companionship and, and looking for her place in this world. Yet she simply could not find that which she was diligently seeking. Tonight I want to share just a few things from this scripture in your hearing and I will not keep you long. We begin by looking at the divine appointment that would take place between Jesus, the Jew, and the woman of Samaria. The first thing we see in this text is that you and I have a very sensitive Savior. Jesus went out of his way. Jesus went to a place that he did not belong. Jesus went to a place that he was too good for in Samaria. Oh, friend, the Bible says in that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the king of all glory stepped from glory and he came to earth, a place that he did not belong a place that he did not have to come, a place that he was too good for. He humbled himself and became obedient as a servant. I'm thankful for Second Peter 3 and verse number 9. The Bible says this, that God is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long-suffering toward us was not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that includes the Samaritans. And that includes you. And that includes me. Jesus was so sensitive that he came to earth to die for the very ones who would crucify him. Think about Jesus hanging upon the cross and all of the many things that he said. At one point looking down and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, these are they whom I've come to love and to give my very life for. We have a sensitive Savior. Maybe you're here tonight and when you think about Jesus, you think about judgment. And He is the perfect and holy and righteous judge. But may I say to you that He always chooses mercy over judgment. He always chooses grace over condemnation. My Bible tells me that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not have to perish, should not have to suffer their own death upon a cross, should not have to pay for their own sins, but they might have everlasting life. In many religions we are taught this thing called penance that we as humans must do something to make up for our sinfulness. That we must do good deeds to make up for our bad deeds. Can I tell you beloved, you and I can never do enough good deeds to make up for one bad deed. In fact the Bible says that our righteousness, the very best you and I could ever hope to do is nothing more than filthy rags. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, immediately they covered themselves over with rags that they made. They sewed leaves together and they tried to cover their own sin, trying to penance, trying to make up, trying to cover. But they could not. Tonight you might be here and you say, listen, I do more good than bad, so I'm okay. Or I've been through a class, or I, I've joined a church, or I've been through confirmation, or, or catechism, or whatever it might be. Friend, can I tell you, you and I do not have access to go to God. Like the high priest could not go into the Holy of Holies except on the Day of Atonement. It filled with incense. Friend, you and I cannot get to where God was. That Samaritan could not go to where Jesus was. So Jesus came to her. We have a sensitive Savior, number two. In this text, we also see a Samaritan sinner. It's interesting to note that she came to this well outside of the city. 
where no other women were. She came at noon at a time where no one would be there. She was amazed to see Jesus, but she would have been amazed to see anyone. We know a little bit about her. We do not know her name. We know that she was a woman. We know that she was a Samaritan. And we know that she had a very lurid past. Beloved, may I say to you, in this particular day, a woman would never be found in the, in the company of a man having a conversation with him. A woman of Samaria, certainly not with a Jew. Jesus would be condemned by his very disciples. By the way, there's something in this text, and I'm not going to camp out on this point, but it's important that you see this. Anyone that's ever sat in a church service on Sunday morning, your tummy rumbling and saying, I wish he'd hurry up and quit so we could go eat. In verse number 8 and verse number 30, I believe it is in this text, twice we see the disciples almost rebuking Jesus, saying, listen, we need to go get something to eat. We need to go into the city and buy meat. We need to take care. Listen, it's noon. Don't you know it's noon? It's time to eat. Jesus had eternal business to do, but all of his followers, all they could think about was food. Any preacher that's ever been preaching at 12 o'clock rolls around, sure knows that feeling, amen? Jesus' heart was set on eternal things, but the disciples' minds set on carnal things. Jesus wanted to fill the woman's heart. They only wanted to fill their own belly. This Samaritan sinner entered into an unthinkable conversation and she had no idea to whom she was speaking. It was an unthinkable conversation, but praise God, it led to an unlikely conversion. It's important we understand this, that Jesus began the conversation. She did not dare speak to him until he had spoken to her. Friend, you might have this idea that you can decide in your own timing and on your own terms that you can initiate or you can begin a conversation with God. The Bible says that you and I cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit of God draws us, unless the very God of heaven begins and initiates that conversation. If this should be the night in your life that God speaks to your heart, do not turn him away. Do not say maybe next time. Do not push his sweet spirit away from you. She was a Samaritan sinner. When we read this text, we find out a little bit about her lifestyle, a little bit about her choices, and a little bit about her sin. But every person in this room has their own story, have their own lifestyle choices, their own sin debt. The Bible said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and they're unrighteous, no, not one. So before we get too high and mighty and begin to judge this Samaritan sinner, we need to realize that every one of us came in this world the very same way. Number three, not only do we see in this particular text a sensitive Savior and a Samaritan sinner, but there was a stunning situation that would take place. The conversation would go through themes of religion and righteousness. The Lord would tell this woman about water and about a different kind of water. Water that you would never need another uh, a dip again. You would never need to draw from again. You would never need to come to the well because it would be water that would be nourishing and flowing, not like a pond, not like a lake, but like a river, every day fresh, every day new, every day cool breezes coming by your line. Jesus said, whosoever shall drink of the water of this well shall thirst again. There's a couple of things here I want you to see. Deep doctrinal truths. The woman looked at Jesus and Jesus began saying, I'm going to give you water. And she said, sir, 
You have nothing to draw with. Now, now this, this is kind of deep, so I want you to think on this for a second. She said, Jesus, although not knowing who he was, obviously, at this point. She said, sir, you have nothing to access the water, although it is here. The fact of the matter was that she was in the very presence of living water, but she could not in and of herself access that living water. It is by grace we are saved through faith, not of, not anything of our own works, lest any man should boast. We cannot access the living water in and of ourselves. We have nothing to draw with. At this point, she's still not quite understanding but somewhere in this conversation, a miracle takes place. Somewhere in this conversation, the Spirit of God begins to move. And she cries out, let me have some of this water you're talking about. It was unexplainable. That was not her nature. Uh, we, we, we learn much about her life in this text. And we see this stunning, this stunning situation. There was a sin to deal with. Yes, but there was also a sinner to deliver. Notice what Jesus says. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me the water so that I'll never thirst again. And Jesus said, Go, call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You have said it well. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. Isn't this true? And the woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that Jerusalem. She begins to have a religious conversation. Beloved, many times when we try to share the gospel, when we try to share about a personal encounter with Christ, when we begin to share our own story of having received Christ, people will immediately begin to have a religious discussion. Well, I grew up going to a church. My father was a pastor. Grandfather was a deacon. What if my mother sang in the choir? And they begin heaping all of these things to saying, I'm righteous. I'm good enough. I, I, I'm okay. She said, my family's been worshiping in this mountain for years. How true it is that religion will not save you. There will be many people that will go to hell calling Jesus Lord. The Bible says many will appear to him in that day saying, Lord, Lord, look at all the religious things we've done. And he'll say, depart from me for I never knew you. You tried to gain access to heaven in and of yourself, but you simply can't. Jesus said, you worship, you know not what. But we know what we worship. And the hour is coming and the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father seeks those to worship Him, for God is a spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then we see the conversion. The woman said unto Him in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when He has come, He will tell us all things. And she's saying, wait a minute, the things that I'm hearing you say, this sounds like the words of the Messiah. And Jesus said, I that speak unto thee, am he we shared the other night about that beautiful name for god the i am jesus here stops and he says i am the i am literally i am the god i am the messiah i am the one for 750 years isaiah's prophecies been read over and over and over again as they waited and as they watched for the messiah to come and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he would even talk with this woman. Yet nobody said anything. Oh, there was a stunning situation. Beloved, I want to close my thoughts tonight. With those next couple of verses. And I want to ask you this question. 
do you know that you know that you know that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven? Is there evidence in your life to back up your proclamation of your salvation? Are there things present in your life that you would say, you know, there's evidence there. There's evidence. More than circumstantial. More than a hope so, think so, maybe so salvation. But absolute certainty. Begin looking with me as we Look at her sure salvation. Verse 28. The woman has had this encounter with Jesus. They've had a discussion about water and about living water. And Jesus has explained salvation. That she could literally accept and receive something that she would never lose. Another wonderful doctrinal message there. But we see in these next few verses... The evidence that should be present in the life of every believer who claims to be a Christian. Verse 28. Three things. Don't miss this. The woman then. Circle the word then if you write in your Bibles. Highlight it, underline it, something there. Then. Then it was after. It was a result of her acceptance of this living water. After she received salvation, after she accepted the good news of Jesus, some things took place. Number one, the woman left her water pot. Water pot. Number one, there was absolute abandonment. A water pot may not seem that big and important and significant to you, but in this particular day, this would have been one of her prized possessions. It was her way of sustaining her family, her way of taking care of things, collecting the water at least once, sometimes twice a day. It was the only way to provide for her family. This was a prized and a cherished possession. But the moment she received Christ, nothing else mattered. Nothing else had significance. She just turned and left her water pot. Sometimes believers have a hard time turning loose of things. It could be a sin. It could be a habit. It could be a relationship. It could be a hobby. It could be a possession, whatever it might be. But beloved, I believe that when you truly receive Christ, everything else becomes secondary. She let go of everything else and all she wanted to do was follow Jesus. She left her water pot. Tonight, there are some folks in the meeting house that need to leave some things. That need to abandon some things at this altar in a few moments when we enter into a time of invitation. You just need to come and give some things over to God and say, God, I'm leaving it here and I'm never going to pick it up again. It's yours. It's under the blood. It's forgiven. It's gone. It's secondary. It's not as important as you are. It doesn't even come close. There was absolute abandonment. I love the new amazing grace song that says my chains are gone we think about the chains being our sin that enslaves us but sometimes the chains that bind us are chains that we knowingly and willingly allow to captivate us and to hold us captive there was absolute abandonment number two after she left her water pot the bible says she went her way into the city the second thing that we see evident of a genuine conversion experience is a miraculous mission. God has never saved anyone to sit. He saves us to serve. God has never saved us to come. He saves us to go. Every person in this room has a mission field. Did you know that? 
It might not be Zimbabwe. It might not be a Moldova where we serve. It might not be the big city of New York where we have a church. It might be locally as we were talking about the other night. It might be across the state, across the nation, or it might be across the world. It might be in your homeroom class. It might be on your baseball team. It might be at your workplace. But God has called you to a mission field. And by the way, sometimes it's not an easy work. There was no place more difficult for this woman to go on mission than the place she was going. She turned. Remember, she's come out of the city because of her reputation. And she knew that if she would have gone to the well in the city, they would have been talking about her and pointing at her and gossiping and, 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 and saying all kinds of things about her. So she was out there and she was alone. She was where she wanted to be, uh, just, you know, excluded from everybody else. And that was okay. But because of Jesus coming into her heart and in her life, this living water coming into her life, she turned and she went right back into that city, right back into that town so that she might share good news. You see, beloved, when we truly get saved, we are going to have a desire to tell that which we know, to share that which has saved us, to, to let other people in on the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's amazing. The disciples didn't get this at this point. They're, they've gone into the city, but not to witness, not to evangelize, not to share. They've gone into the city just to eat. Notice it says she went into the city. Her way. Her way. It was her particular mission. Where is our mission? Beloved, do not get so caught up in, in all of the church work that we do that is so vitally important. But don't get so caught up in the things that we do. Remember in the barn that we forget about those things out in the field. March the 28th, 2012. Tiffany and I had bought a little house at White Lake and we were remodeling it, basically building a new house within a house. I was in Wilmington on this particular day and I got a telephone call from the gentleman that was doing our countertops and he said, hey, can you meet me there about 2 o'clock at the house? I'd like to go over measurements and show you the samples. I said, sure, let's, let's, uh, let's do that. 2 o'clock, I'll be there. I happened to be running a little bit early and I came up from Wilmington on Highway 53 and turned into my neighborhood and, and there are very few people that live in our neighborhood. But over kind of around the corner in this one particular house, there was a young man and his name was Trevor. And Trevor was sitting on the front porch of his house. And as I made the turn, I kind of made eye contact with him and threw my head up. And he kind of acknowledged me. And immediately God spoke to my heart. And, and you know, sometimes you just know without a doubt that it's God speaking to your heart. The Holy Spirit just touching you and, and telling you and nudging you to do something. And God made it very, very clear to me that I needed to go and, and, just, and just say hey and, and talk to Trevor and see what's going on. It's... You know, it's too early, he shouldn't be out of school, you know, maybe he's sick, maybe he needs something. So I kind of slowed the car down, and, and I thought, well, I'll go on up to the house, and I'll park, and i walk back now, it's not too far. So I did, I bought myself some time. Went up, parked the car, and I made my way back down, got about halfway back down, and I thought, you know, I, Trevor doesn't want, I'm just, I'm, I'm an old man, you know, he doesn't want to be talking to me, he's, he's, he, he's just a young man, he's 12 years old, I, I, he don't want to be dealing with me, so I, I kind of turned around, and, and God said, now listen, I told you to go, so I turned back around. By the time I finally got down to Trevor's house, I made the, the turn and he had gone inside. And I must admit, I was a little relieved. Because when God speaks to your heart to do something, let me tell you, we have an enemy that comes and tries to snatch it away before we do it. So I turned and walked away and God said, I didn't tell you if he was on the porch to go. So I turned back around and we kind of go back and forth like this for a little bit. And I finally get back around and I'm almost to the house and a car pulls in the, in the driveway. It's got a state of North Carolina tag on the front and two ladies get out. I don't know who they were, why they were there, I had no idea. 
I kind of acknowledged them and I turned around and I, I thought, well, I'll go back after they leave. So I went back up and my countertop man got there. Of course, that's, you know, so important at the time it seemed like it. And he comes up and we begin to talk about things. He's a believer and we go in, we measure, we look at everything. We come back out and I say, you know, it's the strangest thing. I said, when I drove up, I said, one of my neighbors, his, his name is Trevor, Trevor Worthington. I said, I just felt so burdened. I said, have you ever felt so burdened to go talk to somebody? And he said, well, preacher, if you felt burdened to go, you better go. I said, I know. And about that time, I heard something. I thought, what was that? And it uh, sounded like maybe a vehicle had hit a tree or, or had a wreck. And both of us kind of talked about it for a minute, but didn't think anything more about it. And he left, and I got in my car, and I thought, well, I'm just going to drive on up the road and see if I can figure out where, you know, what's happened. Maybe a tree's fallen. didn't know what had happened. As I wound the rail around to go out of our neighborhood, I could hear the sirens coming. They were getting closer and closer. And I just sat there as the first EMT, it was a white suburban, came screeching into the driveway and then uh, another White Lake police officer coming and then another EMT coming. And I sat there as they ran into the house and I, I, I know all the guys and, and ladies on the, on the EMT. And so I got out of, my, out of my vehicle and I just walked over to the porch and kind of stood there. A dear friend of mine, his name's Lee Kane. Lee came running back out of the house to get something. And I said, Lee, what's going on? And he said, my God, Trevor shot himself. Trevor would live for 24 hours. And then he would die. 12 years old. He's a football player. He's large for his, for his age. Girlfriend had recently broken up. Just had a, had a very troubled story. His mom had left. And his dad was trying to raise him the best he knew. It was a bad situation. But I stood there in that driveway just trembling, realizing that I'd missed a divine opportunity. March the 28th, 2012 was a day that changed my life. A day that I went from being a pastor of a, of a traditional Baptist church, trying to keep up with all the sick and all the shedding and all of that, to somebody who realized ultimately it was about winning lost people to Jesus. At the time, I helped the funeral home out uh, in, at night. So the next day, his body was in Chapel Hill and the lady that owns the funeral home called me. And she said, do you think you could go? And I said, absolutely, I want to go get Trevor. I drove the van up there. I went up on the 11th floor where the morgue and the, and the um, state medical examiner's office is. And I opened a drawer. And I pulled a bag out. On that bag, there was a tag that said Trevor Worthington. And all I could think about was that was the person I had a divine appointment with. Part of your job is to identify, make sure you've got the right body and that sort of thing. So I unzipped the bag and I just fell over his body weeping begging God to forgive me, knowing there would never be another chance for me to say another word to Trevor, knowing that I would never have March the 28th, 2012 to live over again, knowing that that opportunity had passed me by and that I had failed. Friend, I tell you that story tonight not to be dramatic or not to be uh, to try to move you emotionally, but just to bear my soul and tell you that God is looking for His children to keep his divine appointments. Jesus kept a divine appointment with this Samaritan sinner. She kept her divine appointment as she went into the city. But there's one more point. You see, we see in the life of this woman, there was an absolute abandonment. She left her water pot. There was a miraculous mission. She went her way into the city. Her mission. But there was one more thing. There was a passionate pursuit. Notice what she did. 
she said unto the men, Come, come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. This is the Christ. Come see the man she didn't see. She, she didn't say, come see the change in me. Come see what God's done in my life. Let me show off a little bit. Let me get the glory. Let me get the praise. She said, come see Jesus. Oh, beloved, that should be our heart cry. Come to Jesus, not just come to church. Not just come hear my pastor. Not just come join our small group. But come see Jesus. Come meet Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, you know, I don't think, I don't think anybody would listen to me. I, I'm not qualified. I'm not, I'm, I'm not gifted in those ways. I, I don't know the Bible well enough. I, I don't believe I can do that. Friend, if, if, if this Samaritan sinner who had a reputation all over town, if she could go and do it, you and I can too. And we see something here. Verse number 30. Now listen. She had left her pot. She had went into the city. She had said to the men, come see Jesus. Then verse 30, they went out of the city. And they came to where Jesus was. Skip down to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on Jesus for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. Beloved, this woman would begin a revival of sorts in Samaria. This woman would step out of her comfort zone as a different person. Think about this. She came to the well as one person, went back into the city as another person. And because of her faithful witness, because of her passionate pursuit... Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. That is an amazing thought. Oh, that that would be our testimony. Oh, that that would be our legacy. That many people of Fuquay, that, that many people of Wake County, that many people of, 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 of our state and our nation and our world, many people would come to Jesus because of our witness, because of our testimony. How about it tonight? Have you ever received living water? Have you ever come to the point in your life that you have abandoned everything? Everything is secondary and Jesus is primary. Have you discovered and, and followed your own miraculous mission? Are you passionately pursuing lost people? Passionately serving the Lord? I've never done a revival in... 10 years that I didn't share this story and I'll close with it in our little town of Dublin population 246 we had an official greeter kind of like Walmart his name was Graham Graham Robison Graham by all accounts was slow he only made it through about the sixth grade and his mama took him out and knew he could never advance any further beyond that at that particular time. But Graham had a heart as big as all outdoors. He and his brother David, fixtures in our community. David, a great big burly man with a long beard. Graham, a tiny, tiny man. Beard of his own. Graham would sit out in front of the government apartments at the edge of our town and he'd wave at people as they entered and wave at people as they exited. 365 days a year. The only time you wouldn't find him was on Sunday morning. He was at the Methodist church. 
Graham's health began to fail, and you'd see him sitting in a chair, still waving, still greeting. His body frail. Ended up in the hospital. Graham didn't know what was going on, it seemed. Wasn't able to, to, to process why he was there or what was going on. The doctors called his brother in and said, we need to talk to you. Graham's heart is, is weak and it's getting weaker by the minute. He doesn't have much longer. You need to go in and visit with him. Great big old David went in and sat down on the edge of the bed. Just little Graham, just such a small figure there in the bed. David, fighting back the tears, leaned down to his little brother and said, Graham, Jesus loves you. Graham, do you understand me? Do you, do you understand, Graham? Jesus loves you. Graham's eyes opened up real big and he said, me no. Me no. David took him by the arms, kind of leaned him up and said, Graham, Jesus is coming for you. Graham, Jesus is coming for you and he's coming soon. A big smile came upon Graham's face and he said, me ready. Me ready. And Graham went home to be with the Lord. May I ask you tonight two questions. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that he loves you? He loves you more than your mom and daddy ever could. He loves you more than your grandma and grandpa even do. He loves you more than your children, more than your brother, more than your best friend. He loves you with a love that we can't even fully comprehend. But are you ready? If tonight should be the last night you spend on planet Earth and you say, now, preacher, that's awfully dramatic. There's somebody in this room that's next to die. Might be me, might be you. But every person in this room has an appointment to die. Are you ready? Could you say with Graham, me ready? Whatever it is that you've come here looking for tonight, whatever it is that you've been searching for, my prayer is that you wouldn't find it, but that God would give it to you. Because what you're looking for, you're never going to find. So I looked and I looked and I looked. eBay, lampshade, plastic, doilied lampshade, antique lampshade, Craigslists, showing pictures. To antique dealers, have you ever, well, you know, I used to have one, but I hadn't seen one like that in years. And I just gave up. A few years ago, Tim and I were going through a, a dark time in our lives, trying to discern the will of the Lord. Felt like in our church and in our ministry, the light switch had just been turned off. Nobody was getting saved. I felt like I was preaching and it wouldn't, it wouldn't even go in through the microphone. Nobody was hearing a word I had to say. I'd pray and I felt like my, my prayers weren't going through the ceiling. I'd sit down with the word of God and it just wasn't feeding me anymore. And I just, I came to the conclusion, Brother Ross, that God had put me on a shelf. Maybe I had failed to listen to him. Maybe I had not followed his call and, and God had just placed me on a shelf. I took our seniors down to Fort Caswell, a wonderful, beautiful place there at the coast. I got up early one morning and went out walking on the beach. I'd done that many times, praying, singing, worshiping God. But this morning, I didn't feel like worshiping. I didn't feel like singing. And to be honest, I didn't feel like praying. 
I was so miserable. I walked around the peak and kept asking God why. God, I've tried to be faithful, but God, I, I feel like you've just, you, I feel like you've left me. God, I feel like you're not listening to me. God, I feel like, I feel like I'm getting nowhere. God, have you abandoned me? And I finally went and I sat down on the beach. I looked over at Bald Head Island and I watched the boats go by. Old ferry that comes by, you've seen it going. If you've ever been down there, it goes over to Bald Head every half an hour, taking folks over, bringing folks back. And I watched it for a little while until finally I saw something out on the horizon. It would go up, it would come down. It would go up, it would come down. And I thought, well, I'll just sit here and wait on it, see what it is. It took a while. But finally there it was. Washed up to my feet. It was that thing that I'd been searching for all along. It was that thing that I'd given up on finding. See the barnacles? It's amazing. I don't know how long it had been out at sea. It still smells like the ocean. I sat there almost in disbelief, wondering if maybe I drifted off to sleep and it was nothing but a dream. And I reached down, I can feel the tears flowing down and I picked that lampshade up and I examined it. It's not a close match, it's an exact match. And God said, I'm still here. I'm still listening. I've been here all the time. And in an instant, I realized just how big God was. Just how real God was. Have you found your lampshade? Has God given you that thing that you've been searching for? If not, there's no place like here and no time like now. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'd ask you tonight, as we prepare for the most important part of the service, more important than the singing, more important than the message, is the invitation, not from the pastor, not from the evangelist, the revivalist, not from the musicians, but from the Holy Spirit of God. Tonight I want to affirm for those that are here tonight and you know that there's been a time in your life that you became a Christian. You don't need eloquent words, just a time that you became a Christian, a follower of Christ on His terms, not yours. I want to lead you in prayer. I do not believe in formal prayers, written prayers that we recite just out of the spirit of recitation. But if you're a believer here tonight, I imagine there's many of you who need to go find your Trevor Worthingtons, who need to go and share your faith more than you are now. Will you pray with me right where you're at? Father God, You've been gracious to me. You've forgiven me of my sins and you've given me salvation. You've given me an abundant life. But God, I've taken you for granted. And God, I've not shared my faith with other people. Other people that are depending upon me to be salt and light in this world. Father, my salt has lost its savor. My light is only flickering at best.
So God, tonight I reconfirm my commitment to you. I want to follow you. I want to find my mission as I, as I abandon everything but you. I want to have passion in my walk and in my life and in my pursuit of people. I want to well represent you in my world. Father, use me. Use me as an instrument in your hands to accomplish your perfect will. If you're here tonight and you know without a doubt that God had a divine appointment with you, that tonight is the night that He shows you and brings before you that which you've been searching for. And He's speaking to your heart and He's, he's touching your heart and He's revealing His love and His acceptance and His forgiveness for you. There is no prayer that we model in the Bible that says if you pray this prayer you will be saved. But the Bible does say that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth we shall be saved. So I would like to lead you. If tonight God is speaking to your heart, may I lead you in a prayer. You don't have to pray the words I pray. I would encourage you not to. You just do business with God. Pray something like this sincerely before God. Oh God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. I acknowledge that there's a penalty for my sin. God, I ask you to take my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And to remove it far from me. I ask you to come into my heart and to be my Savior and to be my Lord. I repent of my ways. I turn my life over to you. And ask you to use me to bring yourself honor and glory in the days to come. Thank you, dear Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, dear Jesus, for saving me tonight. I don't do this often. I've not done it all week. I'm going to ask you just to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here tonight and you just prayed that prayer, but you prayed it sincerely. You just had a talk with Jesus and you invited Christ to be your Savior, to come into your heart. Would you slip your hand up? I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you. I would just like to know that I might pray for you. Anybody in the Lord's meeting house tonight? Amen. Thank you, buddy. Anyone else? If you're here tonight and you would say, and I will be the first one to say this, beloved. I'm a Christian, but I need to be a more faithful witness. I need to have the passion of this Samaritan that just ran back into that city proclaiming good news. You'd say, preacher, I prayed tonight and just recommitted, reaffirmed my faith in Jesus. And I asked my daddy to help me do a better job from now on. As he says, calling Father, Abba, Father. Would you just by an outward sign of an, that recommitment, just raise your hand and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I want to do a better job. Amen. All over the house. Thank you. God bless you. Folks, if we're sincere about what we just prayed and what we just committed, our community will be different tomorrow. That little town 
in Samaria. That little village in Samaria. It was different the day after. Because Jesus did business with the Samaritan woman. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? He'll use you, beloved. He'll use me. Would you stand your feet all over the house of God? As Brother David leads us in our time of invitation. I'm going to be here on the front pew. Brother Ross is here as well. Certainly, if we can pray with you, if we can help you, if we can encourage you in any decision that you've made, would you come? Would you come as we do business with God? Folks, our meeting this evening draws to a close. Our meetings this week draw to a close this evening. But God is always there. If you want to do business with Him, He bids you to come. If when you get home, the Spirit of God speaks to your heart and prompts you that there was something you should have done, the opportunity is not gone. He's there. And He will always be there. Do business with Him. What Cameron has said more than once. Do business with the Lord. There's no better time than now. We may not have tomorrow. Is that frightening? Well, it's not intended to be, but it is the truth. If God is speaking to your heart, you do his bidding, whether it's this minute or when you get home. He's there. All God's people said, Amen. 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 Also, I want to do something before we close tonight. Um, I want to thank you. You are in a, a community that is ever changing. Um, I just want to share for one minute. One of my prized possessions I brought with me tonight. I'm building a shadow box to hang it in my office. Um, other than my lampshade. About two years ago, I took a group of 70 people. Hey, y'all in the back. Um, to New York City on a mission trip, my favorite place in the world. And Thursday morning is, is trash collection day. And the trash is piled up taller than I am. I mean, everywhere you just can't imagine. And, I mean, there'll be mattresses, there'll be old furniture, uh, there'll be things that just blow your mind. We were walking along and just looking at everybody's trash and tell a lot about people by looking at what they throw out. And up on the top of one of those piles of trash, I found this old cross. Hmm. It's, a, it's a beautiful hand-hewn cross and... I just want to thank you guys for in the midst of a place that is ever changing that you've not abandoned your cross. I have no idea what the story was on this cross. No idea where it hung. Was it in a church? Was it in a uh, Catholic church? A Protestant church? I really don't know. But somewhere along the way, this thing probably hung for years, decades, Somewhere along the way, somebody's hand reached up and took it down off the wall, thought so little of it that they took it outside and threw it up on the trash heap. Mm. 
Folks, that's what our nation's wanting to do these days. That's what the majority of Americans are wanting to do these days. God loves everybody. He does. I talked to you first of the week about praying for us about some, some dilemmas and situations that we've got to go through and we've got to deal with in the next couple of days. I ask you to continue to pray for us. I want to tell you I love you. This place is special to me. Um, I knew a bunch of you before we came. We've learned a lot more of you. You've been so faithful all week, and I uh, just want you to know how much I appreciate you, and I mean that. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do in and through this church. I've grown to love your, your pastor, and um, I hope I can turn out half the man he is um, after all those years. You honor him. You support him. You love him like he's loved you all these years, and you can't go wrong. God bless you. Amen, Dr. Al. I know that some of you will say, Pastor never wants to close the service. <laughs> you get paid by the hour, right? That's an idea. But I don't tonight, especially. I believe without any shadow of a doubt, and just as firmly and perhaps more so than I have a lot of other times, the presence of the Lord has been in this place. When you go, please consider where you're going to be a mission field. I've asked the deacons a time or two, and we've never gotten around doing it, not that anybody objects necessarily, but I've asked the deacons and trustees, let's put a sign out here at the edge of our parking lot that says, so that we can see it, so it faces this way, you are now entering the mission field. We are. When you drive off this parking lot, you're entering the mission field. Like the Samaritan woman, we need to tell people, this is Jesus. Cameron's going to come to the back, and folks, we've got a house full of people. Thank you for coming. I guess I need to say this. Uh, Greet him. Tell him that you appreciate his ministry because I know that you have. But may I very kindly, very, very kindly say, Cameron doesn't have time tonight to hear 300 life stories. Okay? Now, I, I, I mean that kindly. I really do. If your heart is burdened and broken, Cameron will help, will listen. I will. David will. Um, but keep in mind Others would love to greet him as well. That's all I'm saying. Okay? Pray with me. Father, you've been good to us. Beyond all measure, you have sent to us your servant. And he has faithfully opened and proclaimed the word of God. He has shown us the Savior and spoken to us about burdens on his heart 
that need to be on our heart. I pray your help. And grant, oh God, that we would not walk away and say, well, we've had another meeting. But help us, O oh Lord, to be doers of the word of God and not just hearers. Pray your blessing on Cameron, his family, and the churches that he serves. Thank you for loving us and being with us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.